She left a bunch of dirty Kleenex under the mattress like a batch of unwanted kittens. We'll talk about that on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact-checking and corrections are encouraged. This episode is brought to you by FunWise Capital. FunWise Capital is a business lender matching platform. Avoid the mystery of one-sided deals and connect with FunWise to get the very best funding you can qualify for fast. You can apply online in 60 seconds or less, and there's no effect to your credit to see how much you can get. It's easy. Use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business. You did hear me correctly. I did say start or grow your business. If you don't have a business yet, but you got a solid business plan, they can help you get funding. Get the best funding you can qualify for. Their strategic lender matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best possible option for your unique situation. They have hundreds of five-star reviews on Google, Trustpilot, and Facebook, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They provide unsecured lines of credit at 0% interest for 9 to 15 months. Unsecured term loans, loans based on income, short-term gap funding, and bridge loans. They work with real estate, startups like I already mentioned, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business, any kind of project. To get started, it's really easy. Just go to apply.funwise.com slash minddog. That's apply.funwise.com slash minddog. Get money for your business now. Apply.funwise.com slash minddog. Well, not exactly everybody. I am. And welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here, as always. I am excited about this program tonight. Um, summer of... 2019 walking on my private beach my private beach i say that uh like it means something like it's an accomplishment i i stepped in it believe me um anyway i found a book on my private beach nobody's supposed to be on my private beach it's my private beach and the book was called i swear i'll make it up to you uh, by mishka shubali and i thought well that's an odd name mishka shubali um who's reading books by Russian scientists on my beach. So uh, time goes by, and uh, for some reason, I got back on Twitter. I hadn't been on Twitter for like, oh, probably 10 years. And I noticed uh, a guy named Mishka Shubali was following comedians that I was following and uh, seemed to be friends with some of them. I was like, there can't be two Mishka Shubalis in the world. There can't be. Maybe there are, but I would be surprised if there are. Anyway, uh, so I, I DM'd him. I, I asked him to be on the program, and um, he rejected. But and listen, uh, when you're a guy like me, rejection uh, happens probably ten times a week. <laughs> so it was it was not a big thing. But uh, I wanted him to be on the program. All I knew was he was an author. Somebody was reading on my book, and over time. I learned he was a musician and a comedian. And since then, I've become a really big fan of his music. Uh, it's inspirational. It's, um, it's unique, 
And in some ways, even though it's it's very dark often, it has a magical quality. Most of the recordings I've listened to, there's a point in the song where it just becomes really uplifting, even though it's dark, if that makes any sense at all. Anyway, he's here tonight, and it's my pleasure to uh, introduce uh, the one, I believe the one and only, Mishka Welcome. What's up, brother? How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. The uh, I'm glad you opened with uh, outing me for declining the podcast invitation the first time around. It's no big deal. Believe me, I, I, I'm used to it. Um, it happens quite often, uh, and I totally, uh, totally get it. And, you know, some stranger just DMs you, can you be on my podcast? I would probably do the same thing uh, in, in that position. And uh, recently... I was found out on a other podcast that I was listening to that you were a guest on that it was at the start of what was the worst year of your life. So that probably <laughs> uh, played some part in it anyway. Uh, but as I mentioned, you know what? You're an enigma uh, because from the outside looking in, you have you have it all going for you. Smart, tall, good-looking, talented. Uh, got into Columbia. I mean, what's to be dark about? And then all this dark, um, uh, I you know, scars that you kind of write about. <laughs> so it, it's kind of like for me, I'm jealous of all your talent. I'm jealous of being born good-looking and tall and talented. <laughs> Explain to me where the darkness comes from. Well, I'm I'm like one of those uh, you know those Easter bunnies you get at Walmart or something. Uh, uh, the sweet on the outside, hollow on the inside. The, I um, I don't know, man. I just the I think I never had any confidence uh, from the you know from the beginning, and the it's you know and and, and you know that. Um, at the end of the day, it's it's less how other people see us and more how we see ourselves. Right, and, and and the um, and we see ourselves. Um, you know, everybody has a distorted view of of themselves and who they are and what their merits are and stuff like that. But I still, you know, I just um, I I do. I wake up every morning and I'm like, oh, fucking here we go, another you know another bullshit day in Suck City. And the but I do. I have an incredibly sweet life now and. Um, I'm trying to learn how to enjoy it. The, my dog helps with that, you know, but, um, but it's easy to forget, you know, I mean, I I think that we, not to go uh, too deep into the fucking self-help stuff, six minutes and six minutes into the podcast, but the, I think you learn early on from other people, how to conceptualize yourself or how to think about yourself. And then you, you, you spend the rest of your life trying to, trying to forget that or trying to overcome that. Wow, uh, that that's pretty pretty deep. Now I thought about you last night because I had a woman on who was a, a devout Catholic growing up, uh, and then went through a lot of shit in her life. She was sub- servant to her husband who had Parkinson's disease. When he died, she went on a spiritual quest, a pilgrimage throughout Europe, and she was talking about finding happiness and all this. And I said, and she she said that she came into this life with profound sadness and that you know, she's talking low vibration and all this new agey stuff to me and i'm uh, kind of losing me on on that stuff a little bit but then she was talking about sadness and i thought there are people in my life who i know who i who would describe me as having an underlying sadness and 
Uh, and I said to her, you know what? We can't. No, you can't be happy all the time. And she laughed at me. She disagreed with me. She laughed at me. She didn't come right out and say, yes, you can be happy all the time. But that was implied in her answer. And I thought about you. And I thought, you know, are you happy now? Would you classify yourself as happy at this point in your life? Man, I don't know. The, um, I mean, I... You, you, I mean, you, you touch on something that I think is meaningful and, and really pretty sticky. You know, the are people born happy or sad? You know, the uh, my friend Aaron says it's an Eastern European thing that we're all sort of born um, uh, dark and death obsessed. The um, there's a great book, uh, The Rings of Saturn, where he's talking about you know there's supposed to be a sort of a Saturnine uh, tendency that and those are the like dark colored fluids that flow through your body and if you have those then that makes you depressed or whatever the um, you know and then there's there's also like Freudian models and stuff like that of um, or are you processing past trauma from your childhood or whatever the I think the high vibration low vibration thing is bullshit the I think it comes <laughs> down to uh, it just comes down to experience. The but I I do think that regardless of how you feel about you know are we born happy or sad or whatever that many people um, have a conditional thing of like um, you know once I lose my virginity then I'll be happy once right. I get a swimming pool once I get a Mercedes Benz once I get this book published I fell for that you know once. Once I get into a movie, once I get 10,000 followers, you know, that this, if, once I have a baby, you know, um, if I have a baby, then I'll be happy. If I get married, then I'll be happy. If I put out a record, then I'll be happy. And I was like, I was talking to my mom the other, um, I mean, it's a couple of years ago now, I guess, you know, and she was like, Mishka, I figured it out. I figured out the, the secret to happiness. And I was like, mom, fucking spill the beans. Like, don't, you know, don't hold back, you know? <laughs> and, and she said, just be happy. And I was like, man, fuck you. Don't give me this. Like the, I mean, it's because number one, it's like fortune cookie wisdom. Um, and the second part of it is she's absolutely right. Yeah. You it's... just, at a certain point, you just have to make up your mind of, am I going to go through this life as um, uh, a dark cloud of unhappy, a, a jet black ray of, of pitch black sunshine or something. That's what somebody called me. The, are you going to be that? Are you going to be a force for darkness or are you going to be a force for light? And I've chosen option one. Right. <laughs> Sorry, <Well>. mom. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Now, I, you know, social media can be a trap and, and so when you're an artist and somebody listens to your work like I do, it can be a trap in that I think I know you. I don't know you. I, I we never hung out. I don't. I don't know you. But I think what I think I know about you is this. I think you're full of empathy, because from following you, I the only times I've seen you get agitated, pissed off, upset about anything is not when shit's happening to you. It's when shit's happening to somebody else, and I can relate to that because that. That when the people talk about my sadness, I don't get sad when shit happens to me. I kind of laugh it off. But if I see somebody, you know, homeless or without, you know, any means, breaks my heart. And I yeah. see that in you all the time. Every time I hear you talk about anything, like on the podcast I was listening to, you were talking about the worst year of your life. It started because not something that happened to you, something that happened to somebody you loved. And that 
broke your heart and, and made you angry and all that stuff. So uh, does that, any of that resonate with you that I just think you, the core of you, when we talk about all this darkness, it comes from empathy, right? It's come from, it comes from having too much empathy. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I mean, you touch on another thing there that's like very layered, but the um, a narcissist is one of those things, sort of like a, you know, tr a trending word. That's the, you know, sort of, uh, if you want to hurt somebody's feelings, you call them a narcissist or whatever. And it's a word that um, they call it semantic creep, where the um, retarded used to meet develop me developmentally disabled, and then now the um, now it's a slur, you know. And the moron and idiot and cretin used to be very sort of specific. Um, uh, refer to specific IQ levels, and then now they're just insults, meaning dummy, basically. Right. The um, but so I've been accused of being nar a narcissist a million times, and the I mean, and part of it is you know yes, that's absolutely true because the um, I'm an artist, I'm a songwriter that you know, fucking it comes to the territory. You know the um, you have to in order to survive as an artist, you have to get eyes on your work. Period. Um, but when when I was a little kid, I had uh, I had Hot Wheels and Matchbox, as I'm sure you did too. Mm. And the I remember being very young and like talking to a friend, and we were trying to say you know which was our favorite cars, and I couldn't say which one was my favorite because I was worried it would hurt the other car's feelings. <laughs> <laughs> which is that's that's ridiculous. The, <laughs> Um, and I haven't evolved since there, you know, so the, I do, um, every day I feel like I'm letting my dog down. I feel like I'm letting my cat down. The, I do get mad at other people about, you know, shit that they say or do to me. The, but I would defend that because I think that there's a lot of people on social media who are just sort of, uh, kind and generous 24 7 and then i they must have a fucking eight-year-old kid tied up in their basement that they go down and like kick <laughs> yeah. for 45 minutes each night to get that negativity out so if somebody fucks with me online like i'll fucking unleash on them and i think that's good i think that's healthy i think it's you know you should be genuine and don't say something to somebody on fucking social media you wouldn't say to in real life you know yeah yeah absolutely i think that's that's a big part of many people are like that but that's gotten me uh, banned from Twitter of like four times. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, uh, having the, what, that's why I'm Kelp Nate or no to, uh, Kelp. <laughs> the, to to be clear, I'm not ar arguing for more civility on Twitter. I'm just saying that people should go up to fucking other random strangers yeah, in yeah, real yeah. life and just fucking just slug it out, you creeps. Uh, yeah. Before I, I want to talk to you about music, but I I gotta. Because I'm so curious about this. Because I've seen some friends of yours who have uh, seemed to get upset with you about cats, about pictures of you with your shirt off on social media. Like this is the one, like that. I I can't imagine being upset with somebody because they they like cats or they like dogs or they uh, they posted a picture of themselves in shape or whatever any of that stuff is. Why would what is that all about? I mean, the we we do come from a culture of busting balls, you know, particularly dudes. The um, I maybe Tom Kanopka 
would walk up to another guy and be like, man, you look great today. Like the, have you trimmed down? Like I can see it in your face. Like Tom could do that because Tom is a fucking Zen warrior, you know, <laughs> the, but I don't know a lot of other guys who would be like, um, yeah, I'm having a great day today. You know, the, you want me to get this, uh, you know, I'll buy coffee, you know, like just the, I think we, you know, or at least I come out of an experience in a culture where I was like constantly ridiculed for being, uh, for being a pussy. You know, the, um, if you cried when you fell off your bike, when you were six, your friends were like, what are you gay? You know, the, and just, um, and then a lot of those kids grew up to be guys on Twitter and then they'll clown you for, um, for running or for loving your cat or for having your shirt off or what, you know, whatever the, I don't give a shit. The, um, you know, it is, uh, it is mighty ironic that my, I feel like my most reliable source of income is selling that, like I get clowned online for loving my cat too much and not wearing a shirt. And my greatest source of income is selling t-shirts, the newest one, which is a picture of my cat. So, really? Uh, t-shirts. Uh, that's a, uh, write that down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's impossible to make money playing music anymore. So you have to, you have to make merch and you have to sell merch. You have to flog it online and you have to, uh, the, you have to tour and, and like push that stuff. But also, you know, if I'm posting a picture with my shirt off, Andy Andrist, it's not for you. <laughs> if, if you're not enjoying it, it's because I'm not sending it to you. I Andy just start... would be the last guy I would think that would get upset by that, but I think he, he was one of the guys that was giving you shit about it, but I don't think he's genu genuinely upset about I should it. I should just start texting Andrus pictures of you on my shirt off. <laughs> well, I, it's, uh, you know, it just, it's weird to me because I, I see your friends, like, getting upset. It's not like strangers. I could see strangers giving you shit because that's what social media is. You People are just like attack people they don't know for whatever friggin' reason they can come up with. Um, yeah. But listening to your music now, if we could talk about your music, um, I I listen to it because, and I've had this for twenty years or more. This uh, fascination with creative process and how the songs come to be. I know songs come from many different ways to, to writers. Uh, I have one way that is my main way, and but when I listen to your music, I'm like, he sounds like a lyrics first guy, but how the hell can you be just, you can't just write that stuff down and just kind of, uh, uh, so you, you explain it to me. Do you have one preferred, one general MO that you get into for songwriting? And is it lyrics first? Is it music first? Is it uh, melody first? And, you know, rhythm first? What is it? Dude, I don't have a process. And that's probably why I drive myself crazy with it all the time. You know, I mean, I was I was talking with another writer today, and she was like, "Ah, oh, fuck this shit," and I was like, "Oh, thank God, I'm so glad you're saying fuck this shit," because I think everybody who is, you know, working a warehouse job or welding or whatever, they think that the life of a writer is the, um, you know, is worry free or the. And listen, I would definitely much rather be a writer than you know than working in a warehouse. No offense to y'all who are working in warehouses; every job is noble, but the um but it sucks it's frustrating it's hard the we drive ourselves crazy the you know i'm like i'm working on a song right now and the only reason i know that i'm working on it is because i i keep trying to throw this note away and then i keep not being able to throw it away and of course i, I must have thrown it away now the but i just i wrote i wrote down a line 
um, uh, training my replacement before I go, which is the, I think we've all had that thing where, you know, you're getting laid off from a job and, or, or you don't know yet that you're getting laid off and they're like, Oh, you know, this is, uh, this is Randy. We're just going to have him, you know, shadow you for the next two days. <laughs> and then like on the third day you, they're like, now pack your shit. And yeah. you're like, man, I just fucking showed this asshole how to do my job. And now I'm out of here. And the, I've felt like that a lot of times in relationships. Me too. Where the, <laughs> where I'm like this, the starter boyfriend or the, um, you know, if you want to get married, date me. If you want to get married or if you want to become a lesbian, date me. And then, because the, I will, I will steer you one way or the other afterwards. You know, the, you'll either marry the next guy you date or you'll swear off them for fucking ever. And the, you know, there have definitely been times where I feel like I'm like, man, I'm doing all the fucking heavy lifting here. Um, but so I just, I wrote that line down and that concept down. And then I'll be fucking around the, um, I'll be fucking around on the guitar one night and then I'll try to fit that, you know, that part to another part. And then um, hopefully there'll be another part that will be the chorus or the verse or whatever. But it's not, um, you know, it's a little bit like putting a guitar together because you'll get um, a Fender, you know, a Fender style neck and a Fender style body, and they're supposed to be all modular and interchangeable. But there are some necks that you put on a guitar where you're like, I mean, it's like so tight it doesn't even fit in there, or it's so loose it's like I could put a quarter in there, or the I like, you know, put it together and strung it up and played it, and it just feels dead like there's nothing happening and then there's other times where you like fucking bolt two pieces of wood together and you're like oh this is magic you know the y'all were meant to be together and so it, it's a little bit like that i think trying to mate words to music um i would always i was always trying to be a music first guy because i'm i'm not a great musician and it was so I would try to, and I felt like that was the harder part. So I would try to write the chord progression or whatever and then write words to it. But now it's just like the, I don't know, it's sort of like you're, um, you're fishing under a bridge with like dental floss and uh, the fucking safety pin. And then if a fish bites, you're like, oh fuck that. And so you sort of use whatever strategy you can to get it in like shallow enough and then if the line breaks or it slips off you grab it with your hands or just anything to get that sh shit onto the fucking bank you know wow so do you actually sit down to write or like do you get like i want to sit down and write a song or does inspiration hit you and then you say i gotta i gotta write this down <laughs> i will try to like sort of force myself to sit down and write and the um, it's like, tr it's like trying to fucking pee before you get in the car, you know, it's like the, all right, all right I'm going to do this. <laughs> yeah. And then, and you're like, oh, nothing. And then the minute you get in the car, you're like, God damn it. The, the, the five minutes ago, I didn't have to go. And now I do the, so I will force myself to sit down and stare at the computer or stare at a notebook or whatever, and like try to get something out. And it is rare that anything happens. And then. I'll be driving and I'll have to pull over or I'll be, you know, um, or I'll 
say lines or sing lines into my phone. Um, or I'll be running and then I'm like, fuck, okay, I just got to remember these three lines until I get home. You know? Is, is that uh, uh, con- uh, conducive to is running, conducive to writing music? Because I would think walking is for me because, you know, I'm not a runner. But long distance walks are definitely where a lot of songs come to me. And uh, running a, a, a uh, genuinely, a, a generally, a, a an instant where, they, where, where inspiration hits you and ideas hit you? If you poke around, I think you'll find virtually every serious writer has a walking problem. Um, <laughs> Stephen King is a huge walker. You know, he'll, I think he wakes up, he'll write for a couple hours, and then he goes walking for hours. And you, when he was actually hit by that van some years back, and you know, serious car accident, he was walking along the side of the road because that's what he does, you know. the, um, And, you know, Lots and lots of writers um, have um, their uh, the, the runners or walkers or whatever. And I think that there's something to it. I think that when you're physically occupied with a task like that, that you feel like, okay, I'm doing something, I'm being productive. And then you can sort of relax a little bit and sort of release your brain from this like stranglehold. And then your brain, your, your sort of mind is free to just sort of spin out and the um and good comes from that you know that's where that's where ideas come from um and and i when i was like trying to do emdr one of the things that i learned too is that um the where PTSD and and this is a theory but fucking everything's a theory um you know ptsd comes from basically the um unprocessed trauma um, and then, you know, when somebody goes back to try and revisit it, the, it sort of triggers them again. But um, EMDR distracts you with um, all, sounds on alternating sides, uh, you know, a sound in one ear, a sound in the other ear, or a moving light or something like that to distract your brain from re-experiencing the trauma at, like, full volume. Um, and then that way you can sort of process it and digest it you know, you know, that you can put it behind you. So wow. when you're, when you're walking or when you're running, you are going side to side, stimulating different sides of your body. The, um, so, uh, that's my bullshit theory on how. That, well, it, it, it sounds like it makes sense. It definitely makes sense. Uh, but yeah, I didn't know, I did not know that, you know, cause yeah, I never look outside myself that enough to to actually see that, but that many writers actually uh, are walkers. The lady last night walked 500 miles twice in a year, 500 miles each time she walked, and she's going back this year to walk 500 miles again. It's like wow, wow. <laughs> that's heavy. Um, so with produ- production, because I'm, I'm I think uh, I mentioned in the open, every many of your songs have this. They go from quiet, like song where you're solitarily singing with a guitar, and then all of a sudden, it becomes magical. It's like there's uh, an effect that happens in one side, or, or, or with an electric guitar comes in, and like you're doubling uh, your vocals, and there's harmony vocals and stuff, and it's just like it goes from a singer-songwriter with one song, and it sounds like there's no reverb on your voice or anything. It's all dry, and then all of a sudden, 
magic happens and it's like uplifting even though you're in a dark song are, are those all your production ideas or you work with a producer who says Michigan now bring in an electric guitar with a little bit of tremolo on it or whatever you know whatever those effects happen to be that make it just the angels happen in the middle of a song <laughs> so I hate recording um, and the I would always rather play live than record. Um, wow. And there, you know, when I made uh, How to Make a Bad Situation Worse, I really put sort of everything I had into that record. And and then I released it and fucking nothing happened. Um, the That record has done well now, you know, whatever, 10 or 12 or 13 years later. But at the time, it was, it was a flop. And... Um, and that was crushing because, you know, we'd just been, I put so much money into it, just sort of like playing this stuff over and over again, practicing, practicing, trying to get it right, putting so much pressure on myself. And one of the things, and I think when you're, when you're 22 and you have like all this shit that you want to prove to the world, you're like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to play drums. I'm going to play the bass. I'm going to play the guitar. I'm going to, you know, the, I'm going to do everything. And this is going to be sort of my megalomaniacal vision of whatever. Um, and then as you get a little older, you're like, oh, fuck it, man. You know, the Ricky's a great bass player. I like what he plays. Let's get Ricky <laughs> to play bass. And the, and he'll do it for a 12-pack or whatever, or he'll do it just to do it. You know, the, and it, so it's been more about finding people who, um, who I like, who I trust, people who really live for recording and, like, love that, um, or... You know, when I did, um, when we were animals, the guy who produced that, um, one of my biggest musical influences, you know, he was my closest friend for a long time. I met him when we were 15. He like introduced me to, you know, Nick Cave and, um, a ton of bands, you know, Bauhaus, a ton of bands that ended up like having a big influence on me. He taught me how to play bass. We were in our first band together, all that stuff. So when... When it came time to produce it, rather than be like, okay, yeah, you know, I want, I, I want a Hammond B3 here with this setting or whatever, um, I could just say, make that part sound real murky. And then, you know, the, when you come out of it, the, um, and so you, you find, um, you find people you can work with and people who, um, people who understand where you're coming from. And, you know, in, with Paper Plates, the last song I put out with uh, Tim O'Ellis producing, he brought a lot of shit that I had, you know, he saw stuff in that song that I didn't see there at all. You know, I thought it was just going to be some sort of, this like sort of hollowed out, rumbling hip hop uh, from the bottom of the well kind of thing. And he brought a real sort of much more emotional complexity to it. Um, there's like uh, a sort of flaming lips, maximalist vibe, sort of sparkle horse. The and I love that. I mean, I'm at a point where no matter what you do with the production, my voice is my voice, and my writing is my writing, and it's gonna sound like me. Yeah. Um, so I've been more willing to to work with people who have different um, uh, different ideas for my music or the songs or the record or whatever well that's what you just said is one of the reasons i'm jealous of you because you, i wish i could accept 
that my voice is always going to sound like me. And I've been I still at 64 years old, still want to sound like somebody else. <laughs> I'm not comfortable with my own voice. And just for you to be able to accept that is something I aspire to. I don't think it'll ever happen before I die, but I would love for just to be able to be at peace with that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, man. I I would still I still wish I was a great singer. You know, whenever I listen to um, Otis Redding or James Brown or Mark Lanigan or Nina Simone or you know, there's a million singers. But um, where I'm just like, God, I would fucking I would do anything to anyone if I could be able to sing like that. <laughs> like, whatever I have to do, the um, if, you know. Murder a carload of innocent children, whatever it is. <laughs> God, Satan, if you're listening, I'll do it. Just uh, DM me, tell me how to sing. But uh, the but Johnny Cash, at a certain point, he figured out that his voice does Johnny Cash and nothing else. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know the um, Dylan did Nashville Skyline, where he had, you know the, he went in the real high morphine falsetto. Um, and the, but that was one record, you know. Right. Um. Yeah, I catch you bringing up those guys. Do you feel like you were born in the wrong time? Because I think if you were my age, you would probably be a lot more recognized nationally and like celebrated, like Dylan and Johnny Cash. I I do think if you were my age, you'd be looked at with the same way people look at those superstars of rock. I think you'd probably be selling your catalog for a few hundred million dollars like that if you were born in a different time. Do you, do you ever feel that? Well, thank you for saying that. And um, obviously you're 100% wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the, no, I mean, I, I, I do feel like that. Um, but who, I, I, would, I would answer your question with a question, which is, who does feel like they were born in the right time? I, I don't. I don't think I have a single friend who was like, "Yeah, high school. High school fucking rocked. I love that." All of my people are fucking outcasts who yeah. are like, "The I was born in the wrong time, the wrong planet, the wrong species, like the wrong galaxy." That we um, we all feel, you know, that we're that we don't belong here somehow. And I'm trying really hard to get to a point where rather than saying, you know, rather than sort of, uh, you know, stomping my feet in the dust and being like, I don't belong here, you know, is to try to find a way to belong. To It's like, well, it's like Quantum Leap, right? The, right. Every episode he's like, fuck, where am I? And you just, just you have to be like, home. okay, this is where I am. I got to figure this out. And then... Um, that's our job as human beings is to is to make the time that we were born into our time. I get you, and I, I, I that's profound in a way, and, and and I definitely get where you come from. But I don't. I I've always felt like it would be cool to be um, in the time in the fifties. It would be cool to be a young adult in the fifties. That's where I feel like. It. But I don't think I would be more successful. I don't think people if I if I were born. 15, 20 years earlier, would I be a rock star? No, definitely not. But I do think you would probably be, again, a rock and roll Hall of Fame or, or uh, Folk Writers Hall of Fame some, some, on the same level with people like, you know, Dylan and, and Paul Simon or, or, you know, just great writers. <laughs> so. Well, 
Th again, thank you so much for saying that. I um, I hope that um, in the records that I've made, I, I have been able to say something new or to say an old thing in a new way or, or you know, speak to people in, in, a, in a specific way. Um, the... But also, I've been super fucking lucky, dude. Yeah. I've got I've gotten sort to write and publish books. You know, the when I was like, my whole life I wanted to fucking get revenge on my dad and and a couple of you know girlfriends who broke my heart early on. And I got to write a fucking book about them and sort of like get my revenge. And <laughs> nobody gets to do that. And I did. And the it was a commercial flop, but. It's a good book, and I stand by that. And um, it did bring me a lot of peace to just sort of, um, you know, I, you know, the bullshit with my dad. Like the it, it clearly pains my sisters and my mom more than it pains me now, because I had that experience of going, you know, sort of going back to that and writing about all of it and thinking through all of it. Um, the there was a shooting at my school when I was fifteen. The, I feel like I'm, I've processed it far more than my old classmates have because I went back and wrote about it and really sort of like, you know, explored that in slow motion. Um, you know, I've sort of dealt with those ghosts and who gets to do that? You know, I'm, I'm super lucky to, to have been able to do that. Most people in my life, uh, dreaded anything that happened uh, regarding me because they knew it would end up in a song and don't you don't want to fucking cross Matt because he's going to write a song about you and, and you're not going to look good in it and he's going to play it in a local bar and everybody will be singing it and knowing that you are you're the idiot in the in the song so everybody hated that so uh, yeah I, I feel that, <laughs> I feel Dude, that if, if you can combine a, like a, a drunken sing-along chorus with something vicious and cruel towards one of your enemies, yeah, man, there's nothing, there's nothing more satisfying, <laughs> like to, to hear people like you know singing songs back to me that I wrote about like girls who hurt my feelings when I was 18 or whatever. I'm like, ah, yeah, right. you know. Uh, so you've never been married, right? Uh, never been married. Never been married. The yeah. uh, I do have the name of a woman who is uh, married to another man tattooed on my collarbone. So I, I do like to think that I have made a couple of mistakes here and there, but never, uh, no, never got married. Yeah. Well, I've been married twice, and I'll tell you, I don't believe in the institution. <laughs> yeah, I, I sort of, I sort of figured out early on that that wasn't for me. That that was, um, that would only end in in heartbreak. Um, the, I don't know. As I get older, I mean, it's sort of like. Uh, you know, uh, foxhole atheist, you know, as I get older and, uh, I think, oh, maybe, maybe it wouldn't be so terrible to have somebody to face the oncoming void with. Um, but I have my dog and my cat and, uh, you know, there you know, is. interesting for me, I, I, I don't know exactly how old you are, but I guess mid forties, right? Mid yeah. I'm 45. Good guess. 45. At, at that age, that was my renaissance, a rebirth for me, because uh, I, well, I had been playing in a band for about six years again, but I had, there were, was a time where I was in the music business heavy for 
all my 20s and then got into radio in my early 30s. And then I was out of it until I was 39. Got into the band and like six years into it and like just about 45, I was feeling like light. This is the peak of my life. I'm having the best time of my life. I felt young at 45. Do you feel mm. it sounds like you're you're thinking or talking about like um, you're old. And to me, that was from and I felt old in my 30s. But when I got to 45, I didn't feel old anymore. I felt like. I'm still a kid. I still have plenty of life left in me. Is uh, where where's your mind at with regard to your age and where you're at in life? Man, I don't know. It um, it sort of uh, goes in and out. I I am both the oldest now that I have ever been and the youngest that I will ever be. So <laughs> it's like. Right, like a Zen right. cone, you know, that's yeah. a little tricky to, to, to sort out. The I don't know, you know, I mean, I, I like I set my alarm for seven this morning. I woke up before it went off, which I, I always do. Went out and ran uh, three miles with my dog, three and a half miles with my dog. And then I went and moved like a truckload of flagstone with my mom. And the um, I don't feel great right now, but... Um, you know, but I ran well this morning and the dog was tired and the, I didn't throw my back out. And I feel, I do feel like I'm playing guitar better now than I have, um, maybe ever. Um, uh, you know, I have, I, I sort of gave up on playing guitar early and often because I'm, I'm just, I always lamented that I, I couldn't shred. And then all the guys that I know um, who could shred um they want to play on my records because I can write a song and I think right. I, I think in some ways I learned how to write songs and I learned to focus on writing songs because I couldn't you know do the fucking arpeggios and all that Ingve stuff the um I you know I wish I was a better guitar player and you know I'll keep laboring away at it but um yeah I I my friend Tim Kreider said something along the lines of uh, a man in his 40s is still at peak villainy. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm going to try and hang on to that for the next five years and just, um, just work real hard. We'll see. The, you know, rock and roll is a young man's game. And yep. that's one of the reasons why I hit it as hard as I did for as long as I did. And then I've sort of been like rolling off the dial now. Um, you know, because you you know you really can be a writer until until you fucking die you know right. the, now it's like a great time to sort of transition to writing but um but also like you know i think Hal and wolf like hit his stride in his 50s and i you know i've said for a long time that that was the trajectory that i was on that that's when i would start like turning out the good shit you know yeah uh, andy andrist has that line about you know why are they drafting eight year old, 18 year old kids to go and fight in the army? Like a man in his forties, they're like, fucking just give me a gun. Tell me what color to shoot at. You know? the, <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, yeah. I, I thought I was, I thought I was heartbroken and mean when I was 17 years old, like fucking <laughs> tack 30 years onto that. It's like, Oh Jesus. I had no idea. Right. Uh, you mentioned guitar. Do you love? Obviously, you love guitars because you have so many of them in different kinds of. Do you love the instrument as, um, as as the main vehicle for most popular music? 
You know, I keep threatening to um, to make a record with no guitars on it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just just because my um, that's how I write songs. You know, I I, I, I play guitar and bass. I can't play anything else. Um, and uh, and I do love guitars. I have a, I have a million guitars, far too many. Um, but I, I man, there are so many times where I, you know, put on Spotify or, put, you know, put it on shuffle right? and the, it goes through the sort of like alt country, whatever. And I'm like, man, don't do it. Don't do the fucking A minor to C or, you know, whatever. And then they fucking do. And it's like when CCR does it, I love it. Cause I'm like, I know what's coming next. The, and it, and it happens and you're happy. The, but with, um, a lot of the sort of country singer songwriter shit that I, you know, that I listen to my like, man, the, like, why, why has it got to be the same old shit all the time? The, yeah. But also, that's popular music. You know, somebody called me out for one of my songs sounding like some other song, and I was like, every song is some other song now. The, and when I wrote it, it sounded new to me. Yeah. It's hard not, It's hard to come up with a completely original, because, uh, you know, there's only so many variations of notes you can have. Uh, but uh, as a solo instrument, like... The, the instrument where, where you stop singing and something else, some other voice takes up, well, gives you a break in a song. Generally, uh, a lot of, you know, guitar is the main thing. And I, I appreciate, you know, I grew up loving some guitar solos. And, and, but as I hear it over and over and over again, it's just like, man, why isn't somebody playing a saxophone? What, you know, it would be good to hear a trumpet or, uh, you know, anything yeah. <laughs> different, you know? So. Uh, I, I've fallen out of love with guitar solos in a big way, and I hate playing them. Uh, oh, I, I've seen some guys who just and, and you know anybody can fucking do this now, which is you know that you that effects are so full spectrum now and they're so cheap that you can just um, you know they're the solo on your plus one at my funeral. It's not even, you can't even really tell that it's a guitar or that he's really playing anything. Right. It's just the, it's just the, that wave of effects. Yeah. And the, um, and I'm into that, man. The, I'm, I'm not a purist at all. Um, you know, my friend Lou Poster's in a band called Driftmouth and the, and I think a cynic would look at them and say, oh, it's, you know, sort of like uh, country rock by the numbers or whatever. But um, but fuck the cynics. Their uh, Driftmouth is a great band, and the and it's be it's where uh, where the songwriting meets the playing, you know. And the and it's one of those things like CCR where um, you know at the end of the second chorus you're like, oh, there's going to be a bridge pickup Telly solo right here, and it yeah. happens. And instead of being disappointed you feel comforted and relieved and like, hell yeah, I knew that was coming. Yeah, and, right. and I don't know why, um, I don't know why it is that way with some artists and not with others. I think it's hitting the right notes. I, uh, Cause I, I was listening to uh, Martin Bear talk about, uh, Bar Bear, uh, from Jethro Tell talk about if he didn't play the solo first take, Ian Anderson would scrap it and say, "Forget it. We're going to put a, put a flute solo there." I mean, when he heard the right <laughs> when he heard the right notes, it was okay, you know. But you had to get it right the first time. And I think you know when when it's right, it's when 
it's just the guy is in tune or the girl more, more often than not now uh, is just in tune with what what feels right to everybody and what fits the song the best but that's you know not everybody has that you know the ability to just uh, throw a solo in that just fits because so, too many of us are live up here when we think about soloing like it need, oh it needs a part well, yeah, I gotta think of something fancy I gotta think of something impressive and all that stuff rather than just let come from here and rather than here you know what I mean um, dude I, I've played solos on songs where I was just like ah oh, this is just a fucking placeholder or whatever you know the yeah um, and then the engineer is like no 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 that's that's the solo dude the, and I'm like I don't remember how to play it I just it, it was just a thing I threw in there you know that my friend, uh, my friend Josh, I was in New York and I played some music for him, and he was like, "Bro, that solo rips," and I was like, "Dude, are you kidding? I fucking stole that entire thing from you." There's that one bend that I <laughs> stole from you when you were living in Virginia when we were like 19, and that, and that's like, you know, a, a staple in. It, it, <laughs> I'm gonna give myself. It happens in every fucking solo that I play, and Josh was like, "Well, it rocks. I love it," and of course he loves it because I stole of it. From him. It's you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I hate, hate to kind of like, I'm sure everybody who knows you better than I do uh, knows this, but I, I'm curious because uh, in your bio it says born in Ontario, Canada, but uh, and then you got to Columbia University. Somewhere in between there is the missing Jesus years. Like, how did you get from Toronto uh, to or? <laughs> oh, well, so I, I funny. The um, I I I opened my memoir with a quote from John Prine. Uh, from that album, the uh, Jesus, the, the missing years, yeah, the, and the fuck, I can't remember what the quote is, and it's like you know, uh, um, uh, dear God, what have I done? My uh, my blood is wine, and the world's a corkscrew, you know, the or something. The world's a corkscrew, and my wine is blood, or you know, my blood is wine, something like that. Um, the poor John Prine. Uh, um. Dude, everything happened then. <laughs> I mean, the uh, I was born in Ontario when I was eight. My parents moved. My father was a rocket scientist who worked for the United States government. Um, we moved to Los Alamos where he worked on uh, Star Wars SDI, Strategic Defense Initiative. Right, I um, remember that. The and then from there we moved to New Hampshire when I was thirteen. And then I left, uh, I left school early, or I left high school early and started a college program when I was 15. I was there for two years in, in Massachusetts. And then I went to Colorado for a couple years. Um, then when I was 21, I moved to New York with uh, $300 and stayed there for 18 years. Wow. And then... Uh, you know, sort of just been bouncing around, and now I find myself out in the uh, the vast wasteland of Phoenix, Arizona. So yeah, Arizona. You, um, is it going to be home now for the rest of your life? Do you think? I mean, um, I've had friends who've moved out to Arizona, and I just, I, I, how do you be? Especially once you've been in New York, I don't understand how you can um, just cut it off like that and go out into dry, dry desert. Uh, is it going to be home? Um, man, I don't know. The, whatever I say will just provoke the wrath of the gods, and they'll <laughs> they'll flip it up. You know. The, but when I was in when I was in New York, I was always very much the like country mouse in the big city. And then being out here, it's like you know I'm the city mouse in the country. The 
it's it is tricky being in Phoenix. Somebody described it as uncharitably as um, the world's largest open air strip mall, which I think is both unkind and accurate. Um, the people here are fucking knuckleheads. That you know they believe in. I don't know. The I mean I'm I live right across from the state fair. The reason I have to duck out after an hour is because I'm still a fucking carny and the state fair is right across the street <laughs> from my house and I'm going to go out and sell fucking parking to the tourists. Wow. Very cool. At 20 bucks a pop, the, you know, to make a little, uh, spending money. But, um, we'll see if I end up, st- I, you know, I, I've worked really hard to build a life here. I love my house. My mom lives down the street. My animals, you know, are like perfectly happy. The, uh, the summers here are, are fucking punishing, and it is really isolating being here. Um, hopefully, I'll get I'll get to a point where I can. My plan, you know, when I landed here was to to be here nine months out of the year, and then spend three months of the summer touring, and then the the world had had different plans. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, and then now I have the animals, which makes it harder to harder to tour. So we'll see. Right. Now, uh, I got, because I wanted to talk about this before, right before you, you duck out, but uh, Saturday night you're doing a thing in your yard. Now, I love this idea, uh, but um, now that you mentioned there's a carny there, I'm assuming if there's a carny there on Thursday night, it's probably still going to be there on Saturday night. Are you going to be competing with a, a carnival while you're doing a, a show on your property? <laughs> Yeah, that's the tricky thing is that, I mean, we did uh, we did a show here a couple weeks ago while the State Fair was on. It was actually, it was awesome because we have like the lights set up in the yard and um, and then there, you could see the Ferris wheel in the background and stuff and, the, you know, the noise from the State Fair sort of covers up some of the noise, the profanity from the comics and stuff. But yes, uh, Saturday, October 15th, 8 p.m., uh, Christine Levine... Uh, Genevieve Rice, my my buddy Rad Pinkard, Matt Micheletti, um, a bunch of people are going to come and do a show at my house. These are always super fucking fun. Um, if you want to come, just just shoot me a DM and I'll send you the address and stuff. The it's free. We just do a suggested donation. So if you can give, please do. And if you don't, if you can't, then just come and hang out. But um, parking is a little tricky. We really just. My mom lives down the street, so we'll park a couple cars over there and then just really fucking pack them in tight here. And that's uh, that's how we get it done, you know? Yeah. Christine doing well? Yeah, she, she's doing great. You know, the, we had a long conversation uh, last week. Um, the I have a podcast now, which, yes, the irony is not lost on me. Um but uh, Mishka Shibali podcast, we just put an, up, an episode up today with Christine Levine. Uh, the, my dad has cancer. My mom probably doesn't have cancer. We're waiting to hear back about that next week. The, um, and Christine ha- has um, is sort of, I want to say, like, you know, her battle with cancer. The, we all are going to battle with cancer until it wins <laughs> or, you know, the, or we get hit by cars or whatever. The Christine is doing well though. She's doing, um, you know, physically she's doing really well and, and she's Christine. She's fucking unstoppable, you know? Yeah. 
Well, I'm so I, I obviously I was shocked to, when I saw that she was going to be performing at your. I, you know, I thought, well, it's just a party. You know, no, she's going to be performing there. Like, she just had surgery. I don't know, probably two months ago now. It's it, time flies, but it seems like yesterday. Um, so I, I wish her well, and I, I hope uh, I, I hope she's as soon. As soon as I found out she was sick, I was like, oh, there's a way for me to profit off this tragedy. Let me. This is a perfect advertising angle. <laughs> mostly dead, Christine Levine, in her final performance. Oh, my God. <laughs> that, <laughs> mostly dead. Well, yeah, I think you're right about, um, I think we're all going to die of cancer sooner. You know, my brother, who um, he, he was diagnosed with prostate cancer in his 40s. He turned seven, and the doctors can't believe he's not dead yet. When, when he goes to the doctor, he says, what do you mean you've had... Uh, prostate cancer for for 30 years nobody had prostate cancer for 30 years uh look at the wow. chart uh he, on his 70th birthday which was like a week ago they told him he had you know stage four you know metastases and basically he's got months to live on this that was 70th birthday announcement but i said to him listen they told you that before you're supposed to be dead already and you're still here don't believe a word they say just live every day uh be thankful for today and make the most of today. That's what we can all, because who knows? We're all going to fucking die sooner or later, and it could be tomorrow. It could be tonight. Enjoy and, this moment. And, and that, you know, really sums it up perfectly, Is you know, in that in any situation you can be like, oh, God, no, this is horrible. Or you can say, well, look at all the things. How fucking lucky. I mean, it, you know, I'm sorry, and it is terrible for him to get that news and for you to get that news about him. And also... How fucking lucky are the both of you to have had that 30 years? That's right. incredible. Right, yeah. And uh, we have today and we have tomorrow. I call him, I'm calling him more and we're spending more time now. And listen, I don't. I think he's going to prove them wrong again. And not that I think he's going to live forever, but I just don't. He, he says he feels fine. He looks fine. He looks better than me, uh, which is not hard to do. Um, but it is what it is. Anyway, I, I really appreciate you, you stopping by and, and having this chat with me because uh, I do find you to be uh, one of the most interesting people I, I've ever found out about. And it, it, the way I found out about you felt like I should like if, and I hate to get fucking ridiculous about this, but it felt like the universe is telling me this is somebody you should know about because with a name like yours, finding a book on a beach like, you well, actually it, found my book on a beach? That's, a private that's beach crazy. that is only supposed to be my family goes down there. I mean, there's nobody, no strangers on my beach ever. And I find this book. And then, like, six months later on Twitter, I see that name. And I'm like, Miskishubali, there can't be two of those. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I'm like the, uh, what is it, the Highlander? There, there can be only one. <laughs> Yeah, there uh, can be only one. Well, and that that's a great uh, great thing to have. I always thought there were uh, Matt Napple was an unusual name, and now I found because of the internet, there's tons of them. <laughs> <laughs> They're all over the place, and I feel sorry for all of them when anybody Googles <laughs> their name. <laughs> anyway, I do appreciate you being here. Go um, make some money on the cars, man. <laughs> Absolutely. And Matt. Good luck with uh, with everything, and, and please do come back sometime. I appreciate this much. Absolutely, great, great to see you, brother. Bye, bye for now. Mishki Shubali, folks, uh, check out his music. 
MissKishubali.com. There's no music there, <laughs> but you can buy it in the store. Uh, his music can be found on Spotify uh, and just about any place else. YouTube. Uh, and here's the thing. Uh, on YouTube, and I'm very grateful for this. I'm honored in a way. Uh, there's a somebody created a playlist. It wasn't me. It says Mix Rock and Roll or Mix Rock. Mix hyphen rock. And it starts with a rock and 45 song, uh, cover of a Stray Cat song uh, at a beach. And that's my band, the Rock and 45. And then there's a bunch of Mishka songs. And then there's like a Jackson Brown song. And then more Mishka songs. And then there are about five or six of my songs. And that, to me, that's a great honor to be included in a playlist with Mishka, Jackson Brown, Led Zeppelin. Uh, it says rock. Most of it's not rock except for the Zeppelin stuff. But it's an honor just to be, that somebody, and it's probably somebody I know, but I don't know who it is, uh, decided to create this playlist. But it, it's an honor. And anyway, I mean, it's just uh, for me to be included in that list. Pretty cool stuff. Anyway, that's the show for tonight. I'd love to know what you think. Write to me, info at minddogtv.com, info at minddogtv.com. I might have... Um, a special Sunday evening show. I do have uh, tomorrow with co- coffee with the dog, and then Sunday morning, a coffee with ba- and bagels with the dog. If you care to join me then, uh, so thanks for coming. Have a great rest of your night, and um, bye for now. Don't forget to. Um,
listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. 